We just got back, like I said earlier, from Boise. Uh, and over the last three days, heard four or five different main uh, plenary sessions, uh, main sermons uh, delivered from our Compass Bible Church church plant senior pastors, as well as Pastor Mike also gave one at the very beginning. Um, and it was awesome. I mean, it was just a fire hose of taking God's word in and being encouraged by uh, these men, these, these, these pastors, these teachers, um, and doing so in a room full of people that I, m- the majority of them I didn't know because they were from Idaho or had come up from HB or from Tustin or from Hill Country. And it was just cool to be there and to be taking all this in and thinking, man, this is where I want to be. It's good to be here. And I, I, I want to sit here. I just want to take in God's word. I'm reminded, was reminded recently in our daily Bible reading when we read about the Mount of Transfiguration, when Peter and James and John go up on the mountain with Jesus. And, and Jesus is transfigured before them. And then there's Moses and Elijah there. And, and Peter, as he's prone to do, he speaks before he thinks. And he's like, hey, it's good for us to be here. Can we build some structures and can we just hang out for a while? Can we, can we just live here? I, I want to hang out with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And the reason why he didn't fully understand what he was saying is he didn't understand that, that Jesus was the greatest one of all three of them and that he was living life with Jesus already. But that idea, it's good to be in the presence of, of God. It's good to be in the presence of God's word. It's good for us to take in God's word. I was thinking of, of sources of wisdom that we have, and there's these things called TED Talks, and you may have ventured into the realm of TED Talks and listened to a few of them, but some of them are just utterly ridiculous. Like, there's one that a guy gave on how to dry your hands with one sheet of paper toweling. I don't know about you, but I'm a four-sheet kind of a guy. After I wash my hands, I go to the thing, and it's one, two, three, four, and then I use that. I dry my hands off. I don't care whether I saturated the paper all the way through or not. Like this guy was saying, you can pull one, fold it, shake your hands off before you do that, which then I'm like, okay, but then we're just getting water all over the floor. So what is this really solving? We're going to have people slipping and breaking their necks, but hey, we're, we're not killing as many trees. So I guess that's a win. But you're supposed to shake your hands off and then grab a towel, fold it, and you can dry your hands off with one paper towel. So if you want to do that, you can find a TED Talk on that. Uh, there, this was another one that, that I came across, how to make a cockroach's leg dance. Not the cockroach, the leg. So this was some guy who gets kicks and giggles out of cutting off legs from insects and then stimulating them with electronic impulses that cause the legs to dance to the rhythm of techno music. That guy made a TED Talk about how to do that. So if you want to know, you can watch that. Uh, here's another one. This was a lady who is training mushrooms to eat her body. Yeah, that is pleasant to think about after you've had P.F. Chang's, uh, or what did we have, Panda Express? Um, whatever. Well, Panda, if you had the orange chicken, you were going to be tasting hot dog every time you burp for the next week, and you didn't eat any hot dog that you know of. The orange chicken, though, will give you hot dog burps. And you can bet on that. But this woman, she thinks the normal way we bury people poisons the environment. So she is literally, by sloughing off her dead skin cells and hair, teaching these mushrooms to consume this uh, human organic material, which is the most terrifying thing I've ever heard in my entire life. But she has developed a mushroom suit that she wants to be buried in that's going to eat her. Okay? There's a TED Talk on that. Um, There's also one, and I think this is the most arrogant one of all, from a guy who claims that we've all been tying our shoes wrong forever. And he has a TED Talk on how you should properly tie your shoes. Yeah. So there's a lot of different places to get wisdom, to get knowledge, to get instruction. 
But there's really only one place to get the wisdom, knowledge, and instruction that we need that's going to benefit us eternally. And that's what we should really care about. And it's not that there isn't a benefit to, if your sink breaks, firing up YouTube and say, how do I fix this? Can I do this on my own? And and learning how to do that because the Bible's not going to teach you how to fix your P-trap on your sink, right? So so there's a benefit there to the, the wisdom that there is out there that helps us just live life. But y'all, that wisdom has a limitation because none of the world's wisdom can cultivate, create, and secure a relationship between you and God. None of it can. The only wisdom that can do that is contained here in this book, in God's word, in the Bible. And that's the wisdom that we should care about. And that's why we are studying Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 this summer in this mini-series together. Because the book of Proverbs is all about revealing this wisdom to us. And if you're thinking that Proverbs is going to be a book about all the things that you should do and shouldn't do, it's, it's going to, to have elements of that. But if you think that that's the main thrust of the book of Proverbs, I hope that tonight's message reorients your thinking a little bit. Because that's not really what Proverbs is all about. And if you approach it thinking, this is going to give me a better way to be more godly by filling all of these checklists and all of these to-dos, then you're going to be discouraged because you're going to fail. And then at the end of it, you're going to have missed the point of the whole series. So we're in Proverbs chapter 1. Take your Bibles if you've got them. If you don't, there's Bibles in the back or you can find them online for free as well or download an app. But, but get your eyes on God's word, if you will. Proverbs chapter 1, and let's just read through verse 7, the, the first seven verses together. So the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So there we go. We know who's written this book, at least the majority of it. David's son, Solomon, the second, well, the third king of Israel, the second godly king of Israel that we had, King Solomon. To know wisdom. He's giving us the reason. He's setting it out from the beginning of the book. Why did he write the book? To know wisdom and instruction and to understand words of insight and to receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Just mentioned that it was King Solomon who wrote this. If we know much about King Solomon, and maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh, he was a, a king that was wise beyond any other king that had ever lived before him or really any other king that would ever come after him. And the reason is, is because what we find recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3, and then later on it, it reiterates this in 1 Kings chapter 10, is God shows up in a vision, in a, in a dream to Solomon and says, what do you want? Ask what you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, even being a young man at the outset of his reign, asks the Lord and says, look, I know that it's going to be a monumental task to try to govern and rule over your people, right? He says, so I'm asking that you would give me wisdom to be able to be a good king. And the father, God, is, is pleased with this request because he didn't ask, he said, for long years or riches or honor or anything else. And so God says, look, I'm going to give you that in, in excess, in abundance. I'm going to give you more wisdom than any other king who's come before you or will come after you. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 10. And then he said, and I'm also going to give you crazy wisdom and wealth and riches and honor. He, he said, I'm going to give you all the things you didn't ask for too. Why do I bring that up? Because the guy writing this book knows what wisdom is all about. Because the wisdom that he possessed is a wisdom that God gave him. 
in such abundant measure that God himself said no one else has ever been as wise, save for Jesus Christ himself, as this guy who wrote this book. Was he perfect? No, he wasn't. Read the book of Ecclesiastes, also written by King Solomon, and you'll see that he was a sinful man. And it took him a while to fully understand what God wanted of him. But did he possess wisdom? Yes, yes, wisdom unlike anyone else. Again, verses two through six, Solomon says, I want you to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity, to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning and the one who understands obtain guidance and to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. We're gonna unpack this in more detail just in a second, but essentially Solomon is, is saying, look, the purpose statement is this. If you wanna become wise, Start here. Start with Proverbs. But y'all, I want to expand that a little bit for us. And we can do that safely within the the bonds of and the the boundaries of God's word. I want us to say, man, if if you want to become wise, start with the, the word. Start with the word of God. That's where true wisdom is found. Point number one tonight is this. Seek wisdom from the word. Seek wisdom from the word. Y'all are, some of you, in the midst of your college years. Some of you are on the back end of your college years, and Alliance is knocking on the door, right? Some of y'all are brand new to your college years, and you're looking at so much ambition and drive and dreams in front of you and all of your plans that you've laid out, and you're going, man, I I can't wait to get off to school. I can't wait to go meet people on the college campuses. I can't wait to go study what I'm going to study. I can't wait to, to do all of this. But for everyone I'm guessing in this room under the age of, let's say, 25, there's some ambition that you are saying, man, I, I've got my whole life in front of me, and this is what I want to go do. Well, y'all, can I encourage you that as you pursue those things, begin by steeping yourself in the wisdom of the word? Psalm chapter 19 Psalm chapter 19 talks about the word of God and the benefits that are found in the word of God, the benefits that are found in the wisdom of God. Psalm chapter 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, okay? That's a a reference to the word of God. The word of the God, the the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Y'all, you can go through every single TED Talk that's ever been given and you will not find a single one that's gonna say, it revives your soul, that deep immaterial part of you, that part of you that, that feels vacuous when you don't have Christ, that part of you that you wrestle with thoughts of despair and depression, that part of you that when life is going well, you feel this abiding fervency and this bubbling joy and happiness. The only thing that touches you there is the word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, it's confident, it's certain. You can rely upon it. It makes, notice here, it makes wise the simple. You want wisdom? Where are you going to find wisdom? You're going to find wisdom in the word of God. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be here. Think about this. Does this describe our attitude about the word of God? More to be desired are they, the the precepts of God found in his word, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Do you desire the wisdom of the word to that extent like the psalmist did, like David did, where he says, man, God's word is is more precious to me than gold. It's it's sweeter than the, the, the sweetest dessert that you've ever had. 
as we were just talking about your ambitions and your dreams. God's word is more fulfilling than even all of your wildest dreams coming to full fruition in front of you. His word is better. It's perfect. It revives the soul. It makes wise the simple. Seek wisdom from the word. And that's what Solomon wants us to do. That's what he wants his son to do. He's writing the book of Proverbs to his son. And he's saying, son, look, I want you to know that if you want to be wise, it doesn't come from the sages of the world. They were, they were there. He could have gone and, and, and dabbled in the philosophers that were contemporaries of King Solomon. You know, Solomon said, you want to be wise? Wisdom is found in the word of God. To know wisdom is the goal. What is wisdom, though? It would help us to define that. Wisdom is, is essentially this. It's skillfulness and discipline in holy living. Skillfulness and, and discipline in living a holy or godly life. That's what wisdom looks like. It's your knowledge about God worked out in your behavior. It's your professions in practice, okay? So it's, it's the, the instruction, it's the, the, the content that you get from the word of God now seeping its way out of your life. My wife and I like uh, Indian food. We find there's this place called Curry Up Now in the uh, spectrum. If you've never been to Curry Up Now, you're welcome. Go there. It's awesome. It's so good. Uh, and they're super fast on DoorDash too. Um, but we enjoy Curry Up Now. And the only downside to Curry Up Now is then if you work out after Curry Up Now, you smell like curry. Like your sweat just takes on a, a curry smell to it. You guys are going, man, we've talked about some gross things so far. Uh, we've talked about the mushrooms eating the person and now sweat curry. Um, so there you go. You're never going to go there. What's my point in that? My point is this, guys. God's word should seep out of our lives like that. We should have an aroma of the word of God about us. Because that, that it, it's, it's the intake that, that produces the, the output. And the more of, of God's word that we take in, the more it's going to look differently in how we live our lives. So to know wisdom, what is wisdom? Wisdom is that skillfulness and discipline in holy living. It's, it means this, y'all. It's more than just knowledge. This is not going to be a series about making you smarter Christians. I'm not interested in that. This is not a, a series about making you have a greater intellect than somebody else or you walking away going, well, I know the Hebrew word for this. Or the, that's not my goal in any of this. What this series is about is about seeing your lives transformed, seeing you have an encounter with the wisdom of God that, that produces a different life. And we're going to get to why as we continue in this. But take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to Job 28. Job 28. Back before Psalms. When you're referring to the book, it's Psalms. When you're referring to one, it's a Psalm. Job 28. Job in this chapter is talking about where we can find wisdom. And this is one of my favorite passages in Job. Job's a hard book to find a favorite passage. This is one. Listen to what he says here. Start in verse 9. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eyes see every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. And the thing that is hidden 
he brings it out to light. But look at verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found? So Job is saying, look at all the accomplishments of man. Look at what we can do. We can uh, turn over the earth and find these precious hidden gems and stones and gold and silver and all this. And we can mine for that. And we can open up these shafts as he talks about earlier in verse 4. And, and look at how powerful our searching prowess is. And yet he says in verse 12, but where shall wisdom be found? And where's the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth. And it is not found in the land of the living. The deep, the ocean says, it's, it's not in me. The sea says, it's, it's not with me. It cannot be bought for gold. And silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in the precious onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it. Nor can it be exchanged for the jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? So now he said, not only do we have all this prowess to be able to uncover all these things and find all these resources and everything else, but now he's saying, even if you had all those resources, guess what? Wisdom's worth more than that. And none of those things can buy it. So he says again in verse 20, from then, where then does wisdom come? And where's the place of understanding? Verse 21, it's, it's hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a, a rumor of it with our ears. Verse 23, God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and for the, a way for the lightning and the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. And y'all, that is something that the world cannot produce. That the world cannot procure. That the world cannot offer. You can't buy it. You can't find it by searching hard enough. And that's why I go back to if your view of Proverbs, or if your view, if I can broaden this, is of the Christian life, is that it's all about you just working harder until eventually something clicks. Y'all, it's never going to click and you are going to be one of the, those in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, saying, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we work hard enough for you? Didn't I do enough to make you happy with me? Didn't I do enough to, to, to be able to say that I've got the fear of the Lord? Because look at all the things that I've done. And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Because the wisdom of God is not found through our efforts. It's not found through us digging in harder, pulling ourselves up by our spiritual bootstraps and saying, I gotta, I gotta just grip my teeth and try harder not to sin. Y'all, that's not what Christianity is about. And don't hear me say that this is a license for you to go out and sin to the, the, the day it ends, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying if, if your whole view of Christianity is it's just, I just have to work harder for God to love me, y'all, that's not it. Wisdom is found in the word. 
back in our passage in, in Proverbs, he says, look, it's, it's about understanding words of insight. What is insight? Insight is the ability to discern. The ability to discern that which is good from that which is bad. To have eyes in our head, to be able to see, to be able to understand, to apply rational thought to our circumstances. The wisdom of God's word helps us in that regard. He's talking about the practical benefits here of, of the wisdom of the word. And so, yes, it does help us with discernment. He goes on in verse 3. He says, to receive instruction in wise dealing. Wise dealing is, to, is successful dealing. It's to be shrewd in your conduct. It says wise dealing specifically in the areas of, of righteousness and justice and equity, which, man, that word has a lot of baggage in our culture today. But what he's saying here is just being somebody who is a just and fair person. Right? James talks about that, that the Lord does not delight in, in, in partiality. The, the word of God makes us righteous people, just people, and people who are, are fair in our dealings. We are upright. We are people of integrity, is what he's talking about there. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. Prudence is, think about it this way, street smarts. Okay, that Street smarts when it comes to applying God's word to your life. It's, it's to know how to navigate the waters. You guys know the difference between street smarts and book smarts, right? Some of y'all have the 4.0 friend, but man, if you're trying to survive on the streets for an afternoon, they're, they're toast. They're looking over their shoulder when you go down an alleyway in San Clemente wondering what's going to happen to them, right? There's a difference between street smarts and book smarts. This is the, the street smarts for life when it comes to Christianity. The, the wisdom of God helps us with that. For the simple person. Who's the simple person? Well, the simple person in Proverbs 14, 15 is described as somebody who just believes everything. They're, they're gullible. Proverbs 9, 4 says the simple person is somebody who's easily enticed by sin. Proverbs 22, 3 says that the simple person is somebody who lacks discernment of danger. If you read the book of Proverbs, and I encourage you and, and hope that you will, you'll find over and over and over again references to the simple person. Well, the book of Proverbs is there to, to take the simple person from being a simple person to a godly person, to a wise person with the wisdom of God. And then finally, he says in the second half of verse 4, to give knowledge and discretion to the youth. This is the ability to have foresight, to make plans, to anticipate things that are coming and know the best course of action to take when they get there. God's word helps us with those things. Those are the practical benefits of the wisdom of God. And those you will find in your life. The more you give yourself over to spending time in the word, to, to devouring the word, you will find that there are areas of your life that it works itself out in, in such a way that, that things are, are better than they were before you were spending a lot of time in the word of God. It's a, a theme in the book of Proverbs. He talks about long life being given to those that will Pursue the word of God. Pursue the scriptures. Study the scriptures. And we're not health, wealth, and prosperity theologians that say, if you read God's word, you're going to live till you're 99. Some of y'all may not want to live till you're 99. But there is a reality that if you are wise according to the scriptures, it's going to have practical benefits in your life. And that's the point here, okay? Another benefit is it helps you understand Proverbs. If you guys have ever read the book of Proverbs and read some of them and said, what in the world is he talking about? A good way to, to get more familiar with it, because we're not familiar with it, is to spend more time in it. The, the style of Proverbs as a, a literary style is not one that we're, we're interacting with a whole bunch. And so 
if you look at it and you say, this sounds strange, spend more time in it and it will sound less and less and less strange. And that's what verse six means when it says, hey, to understand a proverb. He's saying to his son, hey, you want to understand Proverbs? Read Proverbs. A saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Y'all, this is wisdom in action. This is knowledge in action. And it's found in the word of God. Can I just tell you, as we're on the, the precipice of another year here in the bridge, this is why your leaders are always going to go to God's word when you come to them with a, an issue for counseling. They don't have wisdom. I don't have wisdom to bring to bear on your life that's better than the word of God. So if, if you get frustrated when your leader just opens the Bible with you when you come to them and you want to complain about a, a circumstance in your life, can I just challenge your heart attitude in that for a moment and encourage you to think about what God's word is here for in our lives? It's here to sharpen us that it's, this is the best. You should be thanking God for putting a leader in your life that's going to bring you to the word when you come to them. And that is the job of all of my leaders in this room. As they are, whether you're on a mountaintop or in a valley, they are to bring the word of God to bear on your life, to encourage you, to press you on, yes, sometimes to confront you, because that's our best resource that we have. Seek wisdom in the word of God. The fear of the Lord, look at verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Y'all are in the college era at least. So you know what a prerequisite is, right? You know when you go and look at registering for classes, sometimes you'll click on a class and it'll say prerequisites and then it'll list like three other classes that you need to take before you take this one. And no matter how bad you want to take this one, you're not going to be able to take that one because you don't have the prerequisites to take that class. Well, there's a prerequisite for the wisdom that Solomon's going to drop here in the book of Proverbs for us. And that's what he's talking about here. It's this, it's the, the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, right? There's another passage in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 9, 10, where it says the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, but it's a different Hebrew word that he uses there. And it helps us understand what he means here. It means foundation. It's the platform upon which the knowledge of God is built is the fear of God. You've got to have the fear of the Lord if the knowledge of God is going to have anything to stand upon. That's why if you're an unbeliever, God's word is not really going to do much for you. Because you lack this fear of God. Proverbs is going to help do a lot to help us navigate life and make us more godly. But it's only going to do that. And it's only going to yield its fruit to us if we fear the Lord. Well, how do we develop this fear? Proverbs 15.33 Proverbs 15, 33. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Okay. Now, if you're tracking with what I'm just saying here, you're going, wait a minute, what? Because this is cyclical argument. Because here's what we just said. In order to gain wisdom, we need what? We need to fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, Okay, well, how do I get the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 15, 33, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. Huh? The fear of the Lord requires wisdom. How do I get the, the, the wisdom by fearing the Lord? 
here's what we're driving at. We have to possess a fear of the Lord to gain wisdom, and the fear of the Lord is fueled by the wisdom that we study, by God's word. See, Proverbs is a book about how to conduct yourself before the, the God of the universe, how to live Coram Deo, before the face of God. I love that, that phrase. Coram Deo, how to live before the God of the universe, how to make wise decisions is covered in Proverbs. It's a, it's a book about how, how to avoid the dangers of immorality, how to work hard, how to handle money. All of these are ways in which we should live in the fear of the Lord, but it requires a fear of the Lord to submit ourselves to the word in the first place. So it's a both and proposition. Point number two tonight is this. Find the fear of God in the word of God. I didn't put of God on there. You guys can write that if you want or just stop at word. It's up to you. But find the fear of God in the word of God. If, if the concept of the fear of the Lord is, is kind of squishy and amorphous and, and like what, is, what in the world does that even look like to you? Can I encourage you to start by just in, up in your intake of God's word. And I know there's room for that in all of our lives in here because I've been doing this with this ministry now for almost, well, going into my fifth year. And I, I know there's room for all of us to grow in our intake of God's word. This is the most important source of wisdom that we have. And so this fear of God looks two ways in our lives. There's a vertical component to it, right? And that is this component of our time in the word, right? DBR, daily Bible reading. There's a reason that the D is there in DBR. Some of y'all are just doing BR and you don't have the D component. Some of y'all, it's WBR or it's MBR. It's weekly Bible reading. It's, it's monthly Bible reading. It's OBR, occasional Bible reading. It's all of those things, but it's not DBR. It's not daily Bible reading. And if you're asking, is the expectation that we are really doing the Bible, uh, we're reading the Bible daily? Yes. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What else are you spending time on that's reviving your soul instead of God's word? It, it makes wise the simple. <laughs> what else in your life is making wise your simplicity? Y'all, this is the greatest pursuit that you can have, period, end of story. And the reason is, is not just because it makes you a more legalistic person so that you can look down your nose at somebody and be like, well, it's the DBR for me. If it's the OBR for you, then clearly I'm better than you. That's not the point. The point is, this book makes you love Jesus more, which increases your fear of God. And, and causes you to want to live this out more. So it's this vertical component of the fear of the Lord, which involves being in his word regularly, daily. And if you're like, don't try to make me feel bad for not being in his word. Look, I'm not trying to make you feel bad for being in, not being in his word. I hope you feel bad for not being in his word because I hope you want to be in his word. And if you're going, man, my life is so busy and, I, and pastor, I just don't have time to be in his word. I hope you feel the weight of that sentence and you're going, I got to get rid of something else in my life to get more Bible in my life. And I'd, I'm not going to apologize for that. Because 100 years from now, whatever else you're filling your schedule with right now is going to matter nothing at that point. Nothing. But your, your investment in knowing God more, that pays off eternally. It pays off eternally. So it's, it's DBR. It's prayer. And you're going, man, it's, it's hard for me to pray. I get that, y'all. Sometimes it's hard for me to pray. Pastor Elliot was preaching this week and he gave us a quote from the Puritans and he said this, the Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. Pray until you pray. So when you're sitting there and you're going, man, it's, it's hard for me to pray. 
then the answer is what? Just start praying and keep praying until it clicks and you're engaged and you're, you're, you're like, oh man, I'm praying. And so if it feels awkward to start praying, that's okay. God's okay with awkward. He made you awkward, some of y'all. <laughs> For his glory. But pray until you pray, right? I mean, cultivate this fear of God in your life, y'all. Spend time in the word. Spend time in prayer. Worship him. And the more we're doing this, y'all, the easier these things become. And I'm not just talking worship when we've got Ian up here rocking it on the guitar. I'm talking about like when, when you walk outside and you see the sunset and you're like, oh my goodness, Lord, what did you just do tonight? That's beautiful. Or when you're at the beach and you're going, man, this is phenomenal. Or when ladies, that guy drops on the knee and says, hey, will you spend the rest of your life with me? And you say yes, and you're God, your immediate thought is, God, thank you for providing this for me. That, that worship is just an overflow of everything in our lives, right? That's the vertical component to our fear of the Lord. And the word of God, the wisdom of God, produces that in our lives. That's what Proverbs 15, says. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And remember, wisdom is the knowledge about God seeping out of our lives. The second component, though, is the horizontal component component of the fear of the Lord. And this is where we get into this concept of, man, I want to be more godly. As a result of my prayer life and my time in the word and my worship of God, man, I want the things that hinder me in that, like we just studied Hebrews. And y'all that just came out of True North conveniently also just studied Hebrews. By the way, I came up with the title of the series before Pastor Rod did. No, but... But what does Hebrews say? Let us lay aside every what? Sin, right? And, and every weight that clings so closely. Let us, let us throw those things aside. In order to do what? what? What are we trying to do? That we may run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on who? On who? Jesus. On Jesus. And, and so the more that we are in the word of God, the more that we are fearing the Lord, the more that we are increasing this wisdom, y'all, it makes us look at our lives and say, I, I don't want to be held back from Jesus. And so we're fighting sin. We're increasing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? You guys know that song? You know, it comes from the Bible, right? That song does. It comes from the Bible. Fruit of the Spirit. We want to see more of that in our lives. Not just on our sweatshirts, Mike Bryant. Rocking the love sweatshirt in the back. Not calling you out that you don't have love. Mike's a loving guy. Also single, by the way, ladies. Um, but I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. But we want to see more of that in our lives, right? We want to be more joyful people. We want to be people marked by peace. We want to be people marked by patience. So I'm not just saying that the horizontal working out is just about the, hey, try not to sin more. That's where I'm going back to again. Guys, if that's your perception of Christianity, it's, it's not right. It's not just don't sin anymore. It's, it's love Jesus so much that you want to be more like Jesus. You get that that's why the fruit of the Spirit is there, right? That Jesus is the archetypal man that, that just nailed that. You want to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness lived out? Look at Jesus. Read the Gospels. Spend time there and say, I want to fix my eyes on him so that I'm more like him. That horizontal component, another third part of it is not just fighting sin and increasing the fruit of the Spirit, but if we can just summarize it this way, the way that Jesus did, it's this, love God and love others. Remember when Jesus is asked the, the greatest commandment, he says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
That's the first and greatest commandment. And he says the second one, it's just like it. it, it it's this, love your neighbor as yourself. That that's that horizontal component of the, the wisdom of God, that the fear of God working out in our relationships with other people. And these two pursuits, the vertical and the horizontal, they have to be combined together in our minds. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to grow in your relationship with Jesus. You want to grow in your relationship with God. You want to be more of a godly person. Man, we need to have a greater fear of God. How do I have a greater fear of God? I spend more time in his word. Because his word is the instruction that produces in me the fear of God that then produces that wise living. In fact, so related are these two points that John Bunyan, speaking of the Puritans, once wrote this. John Bunyan said, For there is no duty performed by us. There's, in other words, there's nothing that we do that can by any means be accepted by God if it not be seasoned with godly fear. There's nothing that we do in service of God that will be accepted by him if it isn't seasoned with this godly fear of him. Not a fear that cowers in the corner that's afraid that he's going to take off his belt. But a fear that says, man, I'm so in awe of you. I love you so much. I want to be with you. I want to know more about you. I want to live a life that pleases you. See, the fear of the Lord is about a relationship with him. It's about a relationship with him. Fearing God is not something for you to guys, for you guys, pun intended here, to be afraid of. To possess the fear of the Lord is not to be some like buttoned up all the way, like hoity-toity, no joy, no happiness, Christian legalist. That's not the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is joy. The fear of the Lord is happiness. The fear of the Lord is satisfaction. The fear of the Lord is contentment. The fear of the Lord is, is, is worshiping him with everything that you have. The fear of the Lord is enjoying his creation for his glory. Read Piper for the rest of that book. But seriously, y'all, that's, that's, Piper's onto something there. Not that he needed me to tell him that, but he is. He's onto something. When he says that, that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Right? Like God wants you to be satisfied in him. He wants you that to bring you joy. That's why in Proverbs 16, it says that in the presence of God, there's fullness of joy. God is not a killjoy. He's the creator of joy. And the fear of the Lord is dripping with that if we will lean into it. In fact, as we're talking about pursuing wisdom, listen to this verse in Colossians chapter 2. I'll just start at verse 1. Colossians 2 verse 1. Paul says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. So he's writing to this, these people and Laodicea was next to Colossae. They were, they were neighboring towns. He's saying, look, I've got a burden for you guys. I, I, I love you guys as he's writing as a pastor to them, as a shepherd to them. And then he says this, and here's my burden, that your hearts may be encouraged, that they might be knit together in love 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, okay? So he just, what's, what was the last word that I just said is what? Christ, okay? Jesus. And then listen to how he describes Jesus. In whom, verse 3, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So as we are pursuing the wisdom of God, who are we pursuing according to Colossians 2, 3? Jesus. Yo, that's why this is not about being more godly. Yes, that's an overflow of this. I pray in your life, but, but that's not the target. It's a means to an end. The end is that you love Jesus more, that you're, with, you're closer to Jesus as a result of being in his word and loving his word and studying his word more. Seven B, the tragic flip side. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He says this fools, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise it. They reject it. They set it aside. They don't want it. There's no place for it in their lives. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fool in Proverbs is constantly finding himself in trouble because he lacks the fear of God that we've been talking about. Proverbs, or Proverbs, Romans 3.18 describes the fool as a person who has no fear of God before their eyes. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And the fool is a label that is not easily shaken. If you are known as a, a fool, that's not a good thing because it's hard to shake that label. In fact, so much so that listen to Proverbs 27, 22 and what the writer says in there about being a fool. He says this. He says, if you take a, a fool and you crush him in a mortar, okay? You guys know what a mortar and a pestle is? Like the closest thing that we get to that is tableside guac, right? Like they bring it out. They've got the mortar and the pestle and they're crushing it up in there, right? It's this stone thing with this mallet and it just takes whatever's in there. It pulverizes it. The writer of Proverbs says, crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle and along with the crushed grain, because they weren't making tableside guac, they were using it for grain, their loss, our gain, right? But along with the crushed grain, here's what you're going to find, that his folly will not depart from him. You take the fool, you put him in a, a mortar and pestle and you grind that fool, his folly is not going to leave him, his folly is still going to be there. So being a fool is a hard label to shake. So I hope you see that the fool is not someone that you and I want to be. And as we're studying the book of Proverbs, another benefit of the book of Proverbs is that it's going to help us make sure that that's not who we are. So our third point tonight is this. Escape foolishness by applying the word. Escape foolishness by applying the word. Let's talk more about the, the fool. Psalm 53.1. Psalm 53.1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. The fool, he goes on to say, is corrupt, doing abominable iniquity, sin. The fool turns away from the word as his source of wisdom. Rather than fearing the Lord, he denies his existence. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And there are some that call themselves Christians who come to church and they profess Christ and they're here and they've grown up here and yet the reality of their life is they're denying that God exists. 
by everything else about them. And they're a fool. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. Luke chapter 12, verse 20. Uh, Jesus is telling this parable of this rich man who uh, amassed all of this, this excess because God had blessed him. And he looked at his fields and he was like, this is great. I've got so much. And he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going I'm to tear down my barns where I've already got plenty stored up for me. But I'm going to tear those down and I'm going to build bigger barns. And I'm going to store more stuff and become more wealthy. Listen to Jesus' word to him. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That goes back to us talking about our, our time, our, the investment of our time. Are you investing in things that will secure you eternally? Because there's going to come a day where God is going to come for you and say, this night your soul is required of you. And what good is what you've been pursuing? What good is what you've been amassing? What good is what you've been storing up? Y'all, if you've been storing up the word of God because you love Jesus and letting that fuel your love and affection for Jesus, you're going to be fine. But if you've been playing a game, then you're going to be the fool. We looked at Psalm 139 together last week, but let's go back to Psalm 139, but it's just a different section. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, and you know when I sit down and when I rise up, and you, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it can't even comprehend who you are and your knowledge of me, he's saying. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. See, the fool denies that level of God's knowledge of him. This is true of all of us. God knows us this well because, like we talked about last week, he's the one that's created us, that knit us together, that formed us in our mother's womb. So he knows us to this level, but the fool lives as though that's not true. The fool also lives as though this is not true. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give support, strong support, to those whose heart is blameless toward him. So the writer of Chronicles here is saying he's looking constantly to and fro looking for those whose heart is blameless towards him. The fool does not consider that, but lives his life however he chooses. He chooses his own paths. And the book of Proverbs is going to talk a lot about paths. We're going to get into it in chapter 2. But it's going to talk a lot about the, the paths that we choose to walk and whether they're good paths or evil paths. And the fool is constantly just inclined towards the evil paths. Proverbs 4.26 says, Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Consider how you walk. 
Consider how you're living, and then all your ways will be certain. If you all want to avoid being found a fool, consider every day that your every moment is lived quorum Deo, before the face of God. There's nothing hidden from him. Even darkness is as light to him. If, if that could just be emblazoned in our frontal cortex, if that could just be stuck in our mind like that annoying song that gets stuck in your mind, that thought that we live before the face of God every single second of every single day, I think we would be a lot more sanctified as a people than we are. If you want to avoid being a fool, make decisions in light of the reality that God is present and he's watching. Make decisions in light of the reality that that you love Jesus, y'all. And that Jesus isn't like gone. Like sometimes when you were younger and mom and dad would leave and and you're home alone and you're going, sweet, nobody's here to know what I'm going to do. And then you go do whatever you want to do and mom and dad come back and you're like, everything's fine because you guys don't know what I was doing. Sometimes we think that that's the way it is with Jesus. It's like Jesus isn't here. So when he comes back, we'll be copacetic because he won't know. It's just not true. He does know. He does know. And so avoid foolishness by applying the word. And remember, again, applying the word is not about just trying harder. It's not about just saying, I, I just make, I need to be more godly. I'm supposed to be more holy. Y'all, here's the deal. Should we be more holy and godly as Christians? Yes. And, and here's, if I can just go off script for a second here. And some of you may be, be right there. And I get, some of you in this room are here tonight because mom and dad are still holding the purse strings and, and they're saying, you're going to the bridge tonight. And you're going, I, I don't really want to go to the bridge tonight. And I get that, y'all. I, I, I do. I understand that. And you may be sitting here, and here's a constant refrain. And, and if you have this refrain, you're not original. So um, I'm just letting you know. But there's this refrain that is, compass is legalistic. How many of y'all have heard that before? Can I just ask that question? Okay. You understand that, that we as pastors don't meet during the week and think, well, how can we just make life more miserable for the people that are under our care? And I, I hope that you trust that we as pastors understand that a person is saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So why do we emphasize the godliness so much? Because to pursue Jesus, to go back to the writer of Hebrews, is to cast off sin in every weight which causes us to stumble to run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So can I just challenge you, if you're one of those that's out there and you're just angry at, at, at Compass because some leader or some pastor has gotten in your kitchen before and said, hey, look, we, we love you enough to call you out on sin and you're just ready to blow this place and go, Compass is legalistic and that's your ripcord, that's your parachute to escape Christianity because you're about to apostatize, which is what it is, by the way. Listen, I just want you to realize that the problem may be more with you than it is with anybody else. And I would challenge you to pick up the word of God and you can do this just to spite me. That's fine. And you can jump on Facebook or Instagram or whatever and rip me till the day ends. I don't really care. 
Because if you will give yourself over to studying God's word, cultivating a greater relationship with Jesus is about growing in Christ-likeness. Everything else is foolishness. If you want it to be easy, you don't want Christianity. It's not hard to get saved in Christianity because Jesus did the heavy lifting. But if you belong to Christ, you are living behind enemy lines. And if you expect that to be easy, why? Why do you expect that to be easy? And you understand, right, that you're falling right into to line with what the Bible said is going to happen in the end times. There are going to be those with itching ears. You've got itching ears to, to hear a pastor stand up and preach to you. You know what? It's all grace. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Your sin is forgiven. Go out and just enjoy your, your week. And then you want to come back the next week and have them say the same thing. You know what? It's all grace. It's all good. Your sins are forgiven. Go out and enjoy your week. There's plenty of churches that will preach that to you. If you want it, go find it. But just understand, that's not Jesus, and that's not Christianity. And if you will read the Bible, you'll find that out. That's my sidebar. But I do want you to understand that it is about a relationship. That you cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot work your way into God's good favor. And if you're thinking everything's going to be different, if I just try a little bit harder... You're going to be trying for the rest of your life and constantly disappointed. Because the fuel that drives us has to be Christ, the one in whom all of the wisdom of God resides. There's wisdom outside the Bible. Weird TED Talks. Maybe none of the ones that I mentioned. I'm curious about the tying your shoe one. I'm probably going to read that or watch that one and see if it changes my life. Don't think it will. You know, there's wisdom outside the Bible. There's wisdom, right, whatever. YouTube, there's wisdom out on the, on the, the Twitterverse, sort of, um, in other places. I'm not denying that. There's wisdom on podcasts. There's wisdom in, in listening to sermons, okay? So if I can contextualize a quote by Charles Spurgeon who once said there, you can visit many good books, but live in the Bible. You, you can visit many good podcasts, but live in the Bible. You can visit many good sermons, but live in the Bible. You can visit, like Spurgeon said, many good books, but live in the Bible. Because this is the wisdom of God. This is the key. This is what produces the fear of God. This is what makes us closer to Jesus, which I hope all of you want. I want to be closer to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we are grateful, thankful for the, the Bible, which is perfect, and it does revive the soul, which is able to, to make us wise, the simple wise, even as Paul told Timothy when he said to him, you are acquainted with the scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. That's the greatest news, Lord, that you've given us a book that points us to Jesus to say, 
Look, if you want Christ, here it is. If you want to be saved, here it is. If you want to spend eternity with me, here it is. Here's the path. It's right here. It's laid out for us in the scriptures. Lord, what a treasure trove we have at our fingertips. And how easily do we just cast it aside? Do we just ignore it? Do we just pick it up once a week when we show up at church? Or do we just do our Bible reading to check a box and, and we're not giving ourselves over heart, mind, soul, strength to reading and thinking and chewing and meditating and, and recognizing that these words are your words, Father. Lord, renew a passion within us for your word. Stir up a zeal in us for your word. Cause us to love your word more and to pursue it and to desire it not for the applause of men. Who cares what a leader or a pastor thinks about how much time you're spending in the word? If, if that's all you're doing it for, you've missed it. God, make us passionate for the word because the word, when it is ingested by us, is applied by the spirit and, and we become more like Jesus. And that's what we want, God. That's what we desire. And I pray that of every Christian in this room, that that is true tonight. And I pray that if there are those in the room tonight who are not saved, who maybe have just been trying harder and harder and harder to make it work and it's not working and they're discouraged and they're frustrated maybe even that some of that is is working itself out by the accusations of legalism or whatever god help them to see that the problem is not necessarily that that there are calls to godliness but the problem is that the understanding of what makes us godly has been erroneous that we are not made godly just by trying harder, but we are made godly because of a faith and repentance in Jesus, because we lay ourselves down, we surrender our efforts, our claims to being righteous enough, good enough, holy enough, godly enough, we, we lay those down at the foot of the cross and we say we can't be. And we say, as Paul put it, we need the righteousness of God that comes from the one who took our sin on him and gave us in exchange the righteousness that he had earned for us at the cross. Lord, make this a fruitful study. Yes, Lord, we want to be more godly people, but make this a fruitful study by causing it to stir our affections more and more for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Stand and let's close the night by singing with hearts that long to love God and know him more.
All right, you guys are dismissed. Thank you for coming.